I really enjoyed doing this interview about entrepreneurship, endurance and traction with Pascal Rosenberger, co-founder and CEO of the Swiss startup Eggheads. My name is Eva Hutmacher. I'm the host of EdTech Tuesdays. Let's connect at snubfooting.com. Välkommen till EdTech Tuesdays. En intervjupodd om innovation, lärandekultur och teknologier för lärande. Vi samtalar med svenska och internationella innovatörer, investerare, thinkers och doers som utmanar status quo. Podden produceras av Snabbfoting, en ledare inom kontinuerligt lärande och digitala plattformar. After a while I realized 20 minutes, it's so difficult to make it short. Do you have yeah. any? When you have a conversation, I think it gets really short. When you think about consuming content before, you think of oh, 20 minutes, that's long, but for a conversation, that's short. I've started to listen to podcasts that are two and a half hours long. Mm-hmm. I've managed to listen to them in one go, obviously, because it was yeah too much in one session, but... Um, Yeah, you could see that the discussion um, really evolved during that time. And yeah, there was no pressure, no need to rush. So they could basically go deeper and deeper, whatever topic came to their mind. Yeah, there's certainly some advantages to that. Yeah. So it's more explorative, right, probably, than shorter formats. It would be really interesting to, yeah, like measure the, yeah, the impact. Maybe it is not an impact of podcastings because that is some sort of entertainment uh, learning. Both you and I, we work in the learning sector, and uh, yeah, we have lots of measurements and KPIs that uh, is uh, useful to, to to measure afterwards. Uh, What made you to do the decision to go from a traditional work and start a company or be a co-founder in a startup? There are probably several factors that influenced my decision. One part was basically probably from my parents. My mother built and, and ran an English school. So I experienced uh, what it means to be an entrepreneur through mm-hmm. her experience. Um, certain years and um, as well as my father who <clears throat> was more active as a consultant so basically they were yeah role models <laughs> you could say to some extent um, personally I consider myself as a creative person uh, I enjoy independence and I like yeah a creative person I like to create new things and I have many ideas what what you could do when you encounter a challenge So um, basically this cocktail brew in my mind so that I <laughs> figured, okay, maybe I should start something myself. Um, and yeah, I think it was also partially because I was looking for some adventure. Mm. I felt like that just being a, from, I don't want to, I'm coming across as disrespectful or something, but just being um, um, an employee didn't fulfill me 
because I felt okay, I would just do the same <laughs> every mm. day. Mm. And starting an own business with an in innovative product, yeah, I felt like more adventurous and trying to figure out how to make that work. And probably that's why we started. And then we had a first idea. Mm. We gave it a, a try. Mm. Have you surrounded yourself uh, around lots of um, yeah mentors or, uh, as you said, role models or entrepreneurs these years? Meanwhile, yes, because um, our business is still very small. We're still at an early stage where we have succeeded with some steps, but still a small company. It's feels still very fragile, still feels like it's a very long path still that's ahead of us. And yeah, given these conditions, we felt, okay, we, we can't and don't want to do everything on our own. So we started to build a, um, an advisory board. This sounds very formal, but basically we found cool people who know a lot in their field mm. and um yeah, connected with them, tried to establish some some form of uh, experience exchange and getting their ideas and advice because yeah, building the business is too much for just two guys like mm. we are still today. That's why we figured, okay, we need to have some more influence more from outside, mm. more impact that can have, would allow us to create more impact than as well. When did you um, uh, decide to, to have the advisory board uh, connected to your company? I heard it's very, very useful and many of the Swedish startups uh, also connect uh, advisory boards uh, as one example of yeah, uh, be quicker with their business ideas. Um, might, might need to look back a bit, like the first phase of my and my partner's entrepreneurship with our business, we were still both employed. So we did it part-time, not with the same products that we offer today. Mm. Um, but we figured, okay, let's start with that. The idea could work. It did work um, on one side of the market, not on the other. So that's why we constantly we were constantly looking to pivot when we came across uh, chatbot technology and had another idea how this could be useful in the context of workplace learning. Um, having learned some lessons from the initial stage, we started mm. to build build out uh, the MVP, like the minimum viable product or the first generation of the product. When we had a paying customer that was willing to experiment with us and co-create mm. with us. Mm -hmm. um, and after that MVP, it was clear, okay, for the customer, this can work as mm -hmm. one addition to their um, learning tool stack. Um, we got feedback from other companies. We have one new companies as customers. So then it was clear for us, okay, this could be a thing and should be worthwhile pursuing mm. and make give it more of a structure. And that's when we started to form these connections with advisors and mm. Mm. great cool people. Mm. Yeah, that that is a really good idea. 
uh, I made an, another podcast session, uh, podcast episode with a Swedish uh, from a Swedish uh, bank uh, describing uh, different uh, sources. Uh, advisory board was one of uh, uh, yeah, the methods to, to, to help entrepreneurs and startups. Uh, and uh, yeah, I understand because I'm an entrepreneur myself. Why is resilience so important? It's a very interesting question. And I've basically come across the term just through LinkedIn posts because people keep addressing the topic. So that's when I came, jumped into my awareness. Uh, what's your definition of resilience before we jump into it? Yeah, that's, that follows right away because I didn't think myself or was looking for some content about that. I just observed it is a topic in common workplace conversations, generally speaking. So that's when my curiosity was piqued and yeah, tried to figure out, okay, what is it? Um, I didn't read much, but I figured, okay, sounds like this is what we have developed over the years. And we, we and I understand it as not being immune, but able to navigate the high intense ups and downs of startup life and all circumvent all the obstacles that are in your way and overcome the challenges and handle with deal with setbacks and so that's what I understand from that term. Uh, mm. yeah, I'm not sure if that's a textbook definition but <laughs> how yeah. I look at it mm. and uh, do you um, yeah do you have it in in your mind and yeah try to be resilient uh, do you have any I was approached tips by, or by other entrepreneurs that were really impressed that we're uh, still pursuing that we're so enduring and have such a um that much energy to put into this small business over years. Mm -hmm. uh, he said he would have given up much earlier or yeah, a lot earlier. So that basically was interesting to see that others approach me as seeing myself as yeah, resilient and enduring and passionate over time. So that's basically yeah, also another external signal that that it's an interesting topic mm, to, to think about. Yeah. Is it 10 years now? Yeah, we started 10 years ago mm. um, as a side project when, when we were still employed or I was still employed, mm. I have to say. Um, and for the last two and a half years, I'm working on it full time. Mm. And before it was on and off, mm. I worked in agency then again, and then uh, at another project, and yeah, just trying to make ends meet and find a way to finance uh, family life. Absolutely, yeah. It it it's really tough to be an entrepreneur. Uh, you need customers. You need financing. Financing and yeah, maybe investments. Uh, is it uh, from a family or yourselves or another founder? You select the way to be uh, successful. 
Do you have any tips to the audience, other entrepreneurs uh, that listen to us today? Uh, how can they get tractions fast, traction faster? Would I say <laughs> we have identified a pat patent <laughs> how to mm -hmm. grow fast. Mm -hmm. yeah. We are growing with existing customers. We are doing a good job in generating interest and on the marketing side. We're still figuring out how best to sell and learn to sell better. Um, so, yeah, generally speaking, what I find helpful, either you're in a very innovative spot, like we are today with conversational AI and generative AI in the context of workplace learning and internal communications, mm -hmm. and you generate interest through the the novelty of the topic because it's new people want to learn about it what it is what they can do with it so if you're in such a position take advantage of that um yeah to get in touch and start conversations and take it from there and develop mm. the conversations to relationships um when at the same time you need to know that yeah you're eradicating the market. You will talk a lot with people who will never buy, um, which is true in every marketing and sales constellation, but probably a bit more in the more innovative, cutting-edge areas. Um, sometimes I wish we were active in a more established field, like selling a CRM, where yeah, you would ring up a customer and could just explain Hey, we're selling a CRM. <laughs> Do you mm. need a CRM? And everybody mm -hmm. just knows what a CRM is. And um, <laughs> probably CRM startups would tell me, no, that's still not true. Everybody still works with their Excels. But <laughs> I'm thinking of more, more of uh, more established markets and more established um, categories. There you would need other approaches to break through because, yeah, potential customers get 10 calls, emails, LinkedIn, there are messages a day for new CRMs. So it's, yeah, <laughs> there you would need other strategies to, to yeah. speak out. Yeah. <laughs> I learned uh, the hard way that uh, my, my, my market here in the Nordics or here in Sweden, when I reached out to Swedish companies, uh, it took me a few years to understand that the term EdTech Education technologies. It's quite difficult to understand for my mm -hmm. um, L&D professionals here. What is EdTech? Uh, ah, it's so clear for me. But uh, yeah, you know, two or three years later, I need to change the name for my market when I speak to them. And that was quite tough to realize. Yeah, that's, that's the thing about the innovation out of technology tend to talk about more a bit more about the technology than what it is actually good for what, mm. what it can be used for yeah so in our case we started initially to talk about these are chatbots for knowledge mm. transfer mm. Uh, with the result that people either didn't know what chatbots were um, and if they knew they had bad experiences or exaggerated expectations so talking about technology proved to be not helpful at all in our, mm. our mm. marketing sales yeah. approach. So that's why we prefer to talk about 
conversational microlearning because microlearning is a concept that's more familiar. You mm. know, short bursts of knowledge that you can to repeat and remember, but just in a new way, in a, mm. a chat-based way. So we figured that's much more relatable than yeah, talking about technology, chatbots for or today AI for or AI chatbots for. So yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, now still we a job are. to break it down to practical applicability. Like, yeah, what can you actually do with it in your day to day? How does it help you do that better, faster, quicker, cheaper? Mm. Yeah, now we are on a journey with uh, yeah, introducing the term AI and generative AI and learn the audience. What is it? How can it help you? Uh, so yeah. That, that's really important to, to, to help them understand what is the benefit. Yes. Can you see um, some sort of mindset that can be helpful when you're an entrepreneur? I think accepting to fail is probably a relief. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't pretend that I'm very good in accepting <laughs> this <laughs> disbelief. But I um, sometimes I accept it a bit better than others. <laughs> saying that we're failing. But yeah, I mean, it's such an ambitious project to do. And when you just look at the data and see how many of all projects fail, basically, you should just assume you going to fail too mm. <laughs> but of course you need a winning mindset uh, you need to have that ambition to conquer the market and to convince everything that the approach and product that you have is the right thing to do so i think you need to have both um mm. which is yeah also creates some tensions of course and so mm. We spoke about intensity a bit earlier. Being being in such an intense experience, sometimes yeah, when it's rough, it'd be a bit more with the other direction. Mm-hmm. The other day when you have a new customer mm-hmm. uh, at the other side of the, the phone. Pascal, you, you, you have like a learning by doing mindset. Uh, can, can you tell more about your learning by doing? Mm-hmm. I think that is something the large organization can learn more from the learning by doing. And I connect that one maybe to some sort of learn from failures. And we should probably add that to or tie that back to the first question, what made me start this Mm -hmm. um, journey of being an entrepreneur. And probably it's also because it allows me to learn a lot and grow much more because the field I have to operate in is so much larger and wider than if I was just, and again, it's not disrespectful, just Mm -hmm. uh, have one single position. Um, This sounds very positive and romantic, but it also feels exhausting at times. Um, There were many days when I just, when I wish, I just had a job or someone came and told me what to do and I knew exactly how to do it because, yeah, so often it's the other feeling that's okay. Now I have to 
um, work on a data processing agreement. Gosh, I, nope, I'm not a lawyer. But <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah, still you need to get your head around the topic and try to identify what it is about, try to figure out how far you need to go and find the appropriate solution. And yeah, I enjoyed because you learned a lot that way, <laughs> much more than if it wasn't part of the job. On the other hand, yeah, it's, don't feel, I don't feel like that every day that I'm open to complete new challenges out of my core expertise. But, mm. but now looking back, I mean, I feel like a generalist that I'm, I'm capable to do a lot and understand a lot in, in corporate finance and as well as in legal topics. I'm no expert. It's not my main the profession I originally come from, but I, yeah, I learned um, a lot over the years. And, and uh, because you mentioned corporate environments, I'd say rather than attending a course, it's probably based on my experience, you learn much more when you really have the responsibility for a project. Mm. Um, so project-based learning looks very promising to me because it's not listening listening to a smart person explaining explaining helpful knowledge and sharing uh, funny anecdotes it's really yeah bringing this knowledge to work mm. and in your own context with your own skills and yeah the means that are available to you and and there's a lot of friction in that mm. process. It's mm -hmm. not smooth, but mm. uh, yeah, that's where you learn. It is like an early trend with like skills-based and project learning. Uh, I see it more and more. And uh, people in the organizations, employees, especially young ones, we need to help them to stay in the organizations. And if we have like skills-based training and for projects, they, they, they love to learn. They love to learn a lot. So skills-based uh, learning can, can help them to stay. Interesting that you observe that. I think we would also need the opportunity to fail, which is kind of hard in a running business to give an opportunity to learn and accept that the outcome might be waste. Um, yeah, that's really hard to swallow as a business. Um, so we are applying this concept doesn't sound very easy, but um, I think yeah, it's a large can have large impact. Manage the risk to fail. That is really important for 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 the large organizations to learn that scale. Uh, both mm -hmm. they need to be be safe uh, to to fail. Uh, it's okay to fail, um, and also take small risks so so it's not so because they are very risk averse uh, so if they take small risks and learn to fail and learn from the failures then they can develop from there from what i've seen from working in big companies people tend to think and i was no exception exception at that time the term you think in is your career <laughs> so mm -hmm. how can this project help your career or 
maybe jeopardize it or if mm-hmm. you're responsible for someone else or to guide that person through that project. In every board, every company says you need to have risk takers and be open and curious and explore more. But when it comes down to an individual's this manager's decision, okay, this person, this project, do I want it to fail? Do I want to it to shed a bad light on myself and my career? Mm. Or um, yeah, should we play it safe? I mean, it, it's easier said than done. Yeah, mm. absolutely. If we go back to Yeah, to the entrepreneurship and uh, yeah, what is a really successful entrepreneurship? It's a good question. Uh, there are so many different. I'm thinking of successful entrepreneurs myself right now, going through them mm-hmm. in my head, and there are so many different patterns. Absolutely. But I think what they all have in common is they really serve someone else to a very positive. Um, with a very positive outcome and it's not, I'm not referring to money in the first place with positive mm. outcome but just, they're really helpful they're like they, they solve a problem mm. they, maybe not cure but reduce the, pa- reduce the pain um, I think this is really the essence and everything else is built around that mm. Of the product and the services and the pricing and the revenue margin structures, whatever you have, I mm-hmm. think that follows. That's also very interesting. And yeah, <laughs> when it's successful, it, it's all reflected on these levels as well. But I think it starts with um, yeah, being curious, observing people, observing the market, experimenting, listening. Um, to figure out what's really needed a lot of time actually <laughs> absolutely <laughs> blood sweat long nights uh, and days <laughs> much work yeah and in hindsight it looks so easy or <laughs> 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 so obvious and when you're in the middle of the process it just it looks like a, a jungle <laughs> maybe it's a human reflex because yeah when we we don't tend to share the stories of the one that succeeded and in hindsight the steps seem to build on each other they seem or we tell them in a way that each step that followed to the one before is logical to some extent mm which it's probably not. <laughs> <laughs> What do you call it? Uh, serendipity. <laughs> uh, yeah, to some extent as well. Like when, um, I don't play tennis, but uh, I like the picture, like when the ball lands on the net, mm. sometimes it just falls on the left side or on the right side mm. without much influence. Yeah, however you want to call it, or luck or bad luck. Yeah. Of serendipity. I mean, just quite some randomness in in the process, probably too. In the in the eighties, uh, we had a Swedish, uh, really really good uh, and famous uh, tennis player, and it was like uh, 
one ball uh, that is the winning ball, but it's, it is like 100 balls that is uh, in the net. Uh, so, so you need to train a lot to, to, mm -hmm. to have that winning uh, mm -hmm. ball and point. Yeah, many balls in the training, in training and in the game. <laughs> yes. As an entrepreneur, is it something that makes you awake in the night? Yeah, sometimes, yeah. Still at an early stage, business is still fragile. Yeah, there is pressure that comes with it. Mm. And, um, many open, open ends, many open questions, many open projects. And in all the different fields that we dis discussed before mm. as well. Um, yeah, it has happened. Mm. But I hope uh, you have a lot of fun at this. Is it something that makes uh, you laugh and have fun? Uh? To a large part, can feel very lonely, uh, like you at the computer. But uh, obviously, that's uh, not the whole thing. Like there's you and many other people as well over the computer. Um, so the social interaction is something that I really enjoy. And... Uh, getting in touch with so many people with different backgrounds, perspectives, um, yeah, just hearing what they are doing, uh, learning from them, um, figuring out if what we do could help them. I mean, yeah, that's really, really cool and exciting. Mm, nice. So problem solver and yeah, learn a lot and yeah, meet people. So yeah. quick summary. And building building stuff is also cool. Like, yeah, we build a, a product. Mm -hmm. um, a year ago, we did not have AI capabilities. Mm -hmm. This year, there are plenty of AI capabilities in it. So, yeah, building that stuff, that's, yeah, that's also fun. Like, yeah, figuring out, okay, what can we do? How could we do it? What works? What things? And testing it, getting feedback. Yeah, that whole process really mm. great mm. awesome um yeah and if we just quick uh, mention innovation if you need to choose between incremental or disruptive innovation what do you prefer pascal we used to position our solution as well as an innovative way to do something I'm not so sure today if innovation is really matters. Innovation for itself. I mean, there, it's a bit like um, in French, like art for the sake of art. Mm -hmm. um, if it's just that, um, then it's use, useless. I mean, it's probably fun to build. Um, creative and innovative but yeah it doesn't move things forward for someone else if it's just that and i think innovation is a bit of an empty term but if it really yeah what we're experiencing now with generative ai mm. if it really helps you and write your blog post faster or have more perspectives in it or have less typos in it than before, mm -hmm. I think this is innovation that's really helpful because 
it's applicable, um, easy to use, to apply, benefits clear, and with this speaking of this example, it feels very disruptive at the moment. Probably it's not because <laughs> whole machine learning and data science has been developing and evolving as well over the last couple of years. So even though it might feel as if this has just come around the corner out of nowhere, this has been in the makings for years now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's probably more incremental, but um, disruptive on the level of power it has. Chatbots and AI five years ago were around, but not, not much more than a gimmick, maybe, mm. or mm. something that was, when I think of AI and all these natural language processing tools, it's just not applicable for everyday usage and for companies with an average budget. <laughs> if we focus on innovation on AI, is it any barriers that uh, stop that stop us from uh, joining the the solutions? Yeah, there are probably plenty of barriers. <laughs> what I I think is one of the biggest is like yeah the adoption, mm. even though it's a huge top or if it's been a huge topic for the last 12 months still like um, for the general public so there's something like a general public like two-thirds of people who respond in service say they okay have just heard about it or clicked around a bit so they're still at the beginning so the early adopters they're of course have established their use cases found the tools and they keep running off fine it's good but um yeah the adoption like in, in everyday work like um, how, what can i actually do with it i mentioned mm. the case of writing a blog post before really to sit down and figure out how can this technology be helpful which tool serves my needs best this is a process that needs time an interest, an energy, dedication to do. And yeah, not everybody has it or was willing to invest the time and this energy up to now. So I think this is still what's what's ahead of us and where the ones that are ahead can can play an important role so that we don't create a, another or a bigger digital gap. Have you, Pascal, tried any call uh, AI solutions. Uh, I think both you and me, we test a lot and see what happens in the market and uh, what what solutions uh, uh, can can we find. Uh, do you have any anything to share for the audience? Uh, any... So overwhelming. <laughs> yeah, I, I think some in May overwhelming I number with benefits. Were, uh... right. Yeah, I think in May I picked up the number that there were already 10,000 new tools on the market for different use cases, all with some AI component in it. I mean, you just 
don't have a chance to keep track of that. Um, building a tool ourselves, of course, and I love testing tools. Mm -hmm. um, maybe <laughs> sometimes feel I could do that the whole day. Um, so it takes quite a lot of time to do it. There's, I have to say, a lot of garbage as well <laughs> on the market around. Um, but what I find quite impressive is actually that the big players do really a real good job, mm. like embedding AI capabilities into existing tools and workflows. Um, I haven't used Copilot from Microsoft, but that's probably one of the most famous examples of how mm. AI is integrated into software yeah. tools or from Adobe Firefly into image editing and generation. So these are this actually quite impressive how these big guys moved so far, so fast. Mm. Uh, they're actually challenging many startups that way. Absolutely. Whereas it's from the typical story, it's the other way around, where the mm. small startups would challenge the big guys. Mm. So, but in this case, there's a lot many uh, good arguments that why it's the other way around, that the big guys uh, take advantage of, of the usage and the users they already have on their platforms and delivering them new capabilities and thus making the whole product better and easier to use. Mm. Um, but you've asked for specific tools. Um, I keep myself finding in chat GPT most mm. often. And I always have come back to it. I've also tested many other chatbots. Um, I'm still happy with chat GPT mm. plus um, or GPT-4 four model. Um, I've tested many content creation tools that would allow you to create a video with text or create um, Twitter threads based on existing blog posts. And they haven't convinced me so far because I feel I can shape the content much better in a way that I want it to be when I mm. prompt ChatGPT myself instead of using a tool that has a prompt underneath that I can't control. Mm. Um, so that's why I've been keep, uh, yeah, still a regular user of Mm. chat gpt itself mm. i think the learning and the development industry uh, the workplaces uh, an organization can uh, can benefit a lot from these uh, tools uh, and also the solutions like uh, you have and uh, with con conversational ai uh, to save time and focus on the right things uh, so this is just the beginning. It's so much to test uh, and uh, adapt into their organizations. Uh, so, Pascal, it's soon time to, to uh, close uh, this episode uh, today. Um, how would you like to change the world to a better place? An entre entrepreneur as you are. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
yeah, I really hope we could do that. Uh, we can play a certain part. And uh, what we enable to do with our solution is, yeah, making knowledge easily accessible for users, easily shareable if you're the expert or the trainer. And does yeah, sharing knowledge, getting it across in an easy and fun way so that people like to engage with it. And yeah, there's a lot that we need to get across, be it environmental topics, um, yeah, where it's knowledge is one part, but also then awareness and behavior change the other, where yeah, we can contribute with the bite-sized learning approach because yeah, regular updates, keep it in mind, keep it fresh and increase the chance that you eventually do something different. So yeah, if our solution can play a role in getting this knowledge and behavior change on the way to some extent, that would be cool. Yeah. Mm, I like learning uh, and the connection with behavior change. I think that is really, really important because if I go on a course and uh, yeah, okay, that's it. But if I don't see an outcome afterwards, okay, it can be fun to go a course and something quick. But uh, from a um, perspective in, in an organization or a manager or the the CEO needs to see something more. So a behavior mm -hmm. change and outcome results, that is very, very valuable. One or two takeaways from the episode today to the audience. One of the key topics is keeping an open mind and actively exploring and testing. I think that's yeah, what we've talked about in the context of entrepreneurship, but which is also true in the context of, yeah, of learning. So maybe maybe that's, this could be one point. Thank you, Pascal. Uh, what's next for you? Do you have something uh, top of your mind? This afternoon, I will keep continuing working on the data processing agreement. <laughs> 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 no, our... The challenge is still like, okay, we know we have a valid product. We know we have a few happy customers. And now the challenge is still to find many more. So um, this is certainly the goal number one for next year. Yeah. Great. Thank you. And uh, how uh, can the audience uh, reach you? Yeah, we'd be happy to get in touch with you um, if you have if you want to get in touch and want to discuss one of these topics we've addressed, um, easiest probably is to find me on LinkedIn um, or contact me via email or our website. These are probably the most effective ways. Um, on LinkedIn, I'd be happy if you add a small comment or something, a question, because sometimes it's a bit hard to figure out why that person reaches out. But uh, when there's some context, I, I appreciate that. So Pascal Rosenberger at LinkedIn and eggheads.ai. Thank you so much, Pascal. It was uh, awesome to have you here and discuss entrepreneurship uh, and our topics today. Thanks. Thank you, Eva, for the invitation. Du har lyssnat på EdTech Tuesdays, en intervjupodd producerad av Snabbfoting.
Vi är ledare inom kontinuerligt lärande och digitala plattformar. Försök oss på snabbfoting.se för att läsa mer om framtidens lärande.